0: Section sixteen of the social history of the American Negro, by Benjamin Griffith Brawley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter ten, Part one: The Negro, a national issue. One, current tendencies. It is evident from what has been said already that the idea of the negro current about eighteen thirty in the united states was not very exalted it was seriously questioned if he was really a human being the doctors of divinity learnedly expounded the cursed B. canaan passage as applying to him a prominent physician of mobile gave it as his opinion that the brain of the negro when compared with the caucasian is smaller by a tenth and the intellect is wanting in the same proportion and finally asserted that negroes could not live in the north because a cold climate so freezes their brains as to make them insane about mulattoes like many others he stretched his imagination marvelously they were incapable of undergoing fatigue the women were very delicate and subject to all sorts of diseases and they did not beget children as readily as either black women or white women in fact said not between the ages of twenty-five and forty mulattoes died ten times as fast as either white or black people between forty and fifty-five fifty times as fast and between fifty-five and seventy one hundred times as fast to such opinions was now added one of the greatest misfortunes that have befallen the negro race in its entire history in america burlesque on the stage when in sixteen ninety six thomas southern adapted orinoco from the novel of mrs Afra Bain, and presented in london the story of the african prince who was stolen from his native angola no one saw any reason why the negro should not be a subject for serious treatment on the stage and the play was a great success lasting for decades in 1768 however was presented a drury lane a comic opera the padlock and a very prominent character was mungo the slave of a west indian planter who got drunk in the second act and was profaned throughout the performance in the course of the evening mungo entertained the audience with such lines as the following dear heart what a terrible life i am led a dog has a better that's sheltered and fed night and day tis the same my pain is their game me wish to de lord me was dead what air's to be done? poor black must run mungo here mungo dare mungo everywhere above and below sir come sir go do so and do so oh oh me wish to de lord me was dead the depreciation of the race that mungo started continued and when in seventeen eighty one robinson crusoe was given as a pantomime at drury lane friday was represented as a negro the exact origins of negro minstrelsy are not altogether clear there have been many claimants and it is interesting to note in passing that there was an african company playing in new york in the early twenties though this was probably nothing more than a small group of amateurs whatever may have been the beginning it was thomas de rice who brought the form to genuine popularity in louisville in the summer of eighteen twenty eight looking from one of the back windows of the theatre he was attracted by an old and decrepit slave who did odd jobs about a livery stable the slave's master was named crow and he calls himself jim crow his right shoulder was drawn up high and his left leg was stiff at the knee but he took his deformity lightly singing as he worked he had one favourite tune to which he had fitted words of his own and at the end of each verse he made a ludicrous step which in time came to be known as rocking the heel his refrain consisted of the words wheel about turn about do jist so and every time i wheel about i jump jim crow rice who was a clever and versatile performer caught the air made up like the negro and in the course of the next season introduced jim crow and his step to the stage and so successful was he in his performance that on his first night in the part he was encored twenty times rice had many imitators among the white comedians of the country some of whom indeed claimed priority in opening up the new field and along with their burlesque these men actually touched upon the possibilities of plaintive negro melodies which they of course capitalized in new york late in eighteen forty two four men dan emmet frank brower billy whitlock and dick pelham practised together with fiddle and banjo bones and tamarine and thus was born the first company the virginia minstrels which made its formal debut in new york february seventeenth eighteen forty three its members produced in connection with their work all sorts of popular songs one of Emmett's being dixie which introduced by mrs john wood in a burlesque in new orleans at the outbreak of the civil war leaped into popularity and became the war song of the confederacy companies multiplied apace christie's minstrels claimed priority to the company already mentioned but did not actually enter upon its new york career until eighteen forty six bryant's minstrels and buckley's new orleans serenaders were only two others of the most popular aggregations featuring and burlesquing the negro in a social history of the negro in america however it is important to observe in passing that already even in burlesque the negro element was beginning to enthrall the popular mind about the same time as minstrelsy also developed the habit of belittling the race by making the name of some prominent and worthy negro a term of contempt thus cuffy corrupted from paul cuff now came into widespread use this was not all it was now that the sinister crime of lynching raised its head in defiance of all law at first used as a form of punishment for outlaws and gamblers it soon came to be applied especially to negroes one was burned alive near greenville south carolina in eighteen twenty five in may eighteen thirty five two were burned near mobile for the murder of two children and for the years between eighteen twenty three and eighteen sixty not less than fifty-six cases of the lynching of negroes have been ascertained though no one will ever know how many lost their lives without leaving any record certainly more men were executed illegally than legally thus of forty-six recorded murders by negroes of owners or overseers between eighteen fifty and eighteen sixty twenty resulted in legal execution and twenty-six in lynching violent crimes against white women were not relatively any more numerous than now but those that occurred or were attempted received swift's punishment thus of seventeen cases of rape in the ten years last mentioned negroes were legally executed in five and lynched in twelve extraordinary attention was attracted by the burning in st louis in eighteen thirty five of a man named McIntosh, who had killed an officer who was trying to arrest him this event came in the midst of a period of great agitation and it was for denouncing this lynching that elijah p lovejoy had his printing office destroyed in st louis and was forced to remove to alton illinois where his press was three times destroyed and where he finally met death at the hands of a mob while trying to protect his property november seventh eighteen thirty seven 1837. judge lawless defended the lynching and even william elry channing took a compromising view abraham lincoln however then a very young man in an address on the perpetuation of our political institutions at springfield january twenty seventh eighteen thirty seven said accounts of outrages committed by mobs form the everyday news of the times they have pervaded the country from new england to louisiana they are neither peculiar to the eternal snows of the former nor the burning suns of the latter they are not the creatures of climate neither are they confined to the slaveholding or the non-slaveholding states turn to that horror striking scene at st louis a single victim only was sacrificed there this story is very short and is perhaps the most highly tragic of anything that has ever been witnessed in real life a mulatto man by the name of mackintosh was seized in the street dragged to the suburbs of the city chained to a tree and actually burned to death and all within a single hour from the time he had been a free man attending to his own business and at peace with the world. Such are the effects of mob law, and such are the scenes becoming more and more frequent in this land, so lately famed for love of law and order, and the stories of which have even now grown too familiar to attract anything more than an idle remark all the while flagrant crimes were committed against negro women and girls and freemen in the border states were constantly being dragged into slavery by kidnappers two typical cases will serve for illustration george jones a respectable man of new york was in eighteen thirty six arrested on broadway on the pretext that he had committed assault and battery he refused to go with his captors for he knew that he had done nothing to warrant such a charge but he finally yielded on the assurance of his employer that everything possible would be done for him he was placed in the bridewell and a few minutes afterwards taken before a magistrate to whose satisfaction he was proved to be a slave thus in less than two hours after his arrest he was hurried away by the kidnappers whose word had been accepted as sufficient evidence and he had not been permitted to secure a single friendly witness solomon northrup who afterwards wrote on an account of his experiences was a free man who lived in saratoga and made his living by working about the hotels where in the evenings he often played the violin at parties one day two men supposedly managers of a travelling circus company met him and offered him good pay if he would go with them as a violinist to washington he consented and some mornings afterwards awoke to find himself in a slave pen in the capital how he got there was ever a mystery to him but evidently he had been drugged he was taken south and sold to a hard master with whom he remained twelve years before he was able to effect his release in the south any free negro who entertained a runaway might himself become a slave thus in south carolina in eighteen twenty seven a free woman with her three children suffered this penalty because she gave succor to two homeless and fugitive children six and nine years old day by day moreover from the capital of the nation went on the internal slave trade when by one means and another a dealer had gathered twenty or more likely young negro men and girls he would bring them forth from their cells would huddle the women and young children into a cart or a wagon would handcuff the men in pairs the right hand of one to the left hand of another make the handcuffs fast to a long chain which passed between each pair of slaves and would start his procession southward it is not strange that several of the unfortunate people committed suicide one distracted mother about to be separated from her loved ones dumbfounded the nation by hurling herself from the window of a prison in the capital on the sabbath day and dying in the street below meanwhile even in the free states the disabilities of the negro continued in general he was denied the elective franchise the right of petition the right to enter public conveyances or places of amusement and he was driven into a status of contempt by being shut out from the army and the militia he had to face all sorts of impediments in getting education or in pursuing honest industry he had nothing whatever to do with the administration of justice and generally he was subject to insult and outrage one might have supposed that on all this proscription and denial of the ordinary rights of human beings the christian church would have taken a positive stand unfortunately as so often happens it was on the side of property and vested interest rather than on that of the oppressed we have already seen that southern divines held slaves and countenanced the system and by eighteen forty james g Burney had abundant material for his indictment the american churches the bulwarks of american slavery he showed among other things that while in seventeen eighty the methodist episcopal church had opposed slavery and in seventeen eighty four had given a slaveholder one month to repent or withdraw from its conferences by eighteen thirty six it had so drifted away from its original position as to disclaim any right wish or intention to interfere in the civil and political relation between master and slave as it existed in the slaveholding states of the union meanwhile in the churches of the north there was the most insulting discrimination in the baptist church in hartford the pews for negroes were boarded up in front and in stonington connecticut the floor was cut out of a Negro's pew by order of the church authorities in boston in a church that did not welcome and that made little provision for negroes a consecrated deacon invited into his own pew some negro people whereupon he lost the right to hold a pew in his church he decided that there should be some place where there might be more freedom of thought and genuine christianity he brought others into the plan and the effort that he put forth resulted in what has since become the tremont temple baptist church into all this proscription burlesque and crime and denial of the fundamental principles of christianity suddenly came the programme of the abolitionists and it spoke with tongues of fire and had all the vigour and force of a crusade to the challenge of the abolitionists the great difference between the early abolition societies which resulted in the american convention and the later anti-slavery movement of which garrison was the representative figure was the difference between a humanitarian impulse tempered by expediency and one that had all the power of a direct challenge before eighteen thirty one in the south the societies were more numerous the members no less earnest and the hatred of slavery no less bitter yet the conciliation and persuasion so noticeable in the earlier period in twenty years accomplished practically nothing either in legislation or in the education of public sentiment while gradual changes in economic conditions at the south caused the question to grow more difficult moreover the evidence of open-mindedness cannot stand against the many instances of absolute refusal to permit argument against slavery in the colonial congress in the confederation in the constitutional convention in the state ratifying conventions in the early congresses there were many vehement denunciations of anything which seemed to have an anti-slavery tendency and wholesale suspicion of the north at all times when the subject was opened one cannot forget the effort of james g birney or that Benjamin Lundy's work was most largely done in what we should now call the South, or that between eighteen fifteen and eighteen twenty eight at least four journals which avowed the extinction of slavery as one, if not the chief one, of their objects were published in the Southern states. Only gradual emancipation, however, found any real support in the South, and as compared with the work of Garrison, even that of Lundy appears in the distance with something of the mildness of sweetness and light even before the rise of garrison robert james turnbull of south carolina under the name of brutus wrote a virulent attack on anti-slavery and representative drayton of the same state speaking in congress in eighteen twenty eight said much as we love our country we would rather see our cities in flames our plains drenched in blood rather endure all the calamities of civil war than parley for an instant upon the right of any power than our own to interfere with the regulation of our slaves more and more this was to be the real sentiment of the south in the face of this kind of eloquence and passion mere academic discussion was powerless the liberator was begun january one eighteen thirty one the next year garrison was the leading spirit in the formation of the new england anti-slavery society and in december eighteen thirty three in philadelphia the american anti-slavery society was organized in large measure these organizations were an outgrowth of the great liberal and humanitarian spirit that by eighteen thirty had become manifest in both europe and america hugo and manzini byron and macaulay had all now appeared upon the scene and romanticism was regnant james montgomery and william faber wrote their hymns and reginald heber went as a missionary bishop to india forty years afterwards the french revolution was bearing fruit france herself had a new revolution in eighteen thirty and in this same year the kingdom of belgium was born in england there was the remarkable reign of william the fourth which within the short space of seven years summed up in legislation reforms that had been agitated for decades in eighteen thirty two came the great reform bill in eighteen thirty three the abolition of slavery in english dominions and in eighteen thirty four a revision of factory legislation and the poor law charles dickens and elizabeth barrett browning began to be heard and in eighteen thirty four came to america george thompson a powerful and refined speaker who had had much to do with the english agitation against slavery the young republic of the united states lusty and self-confident was seething with new thought in new england the humanitarian movement that so largely began with the unitarianism of channing ran through its later phase in transcendentalism and spent its last strength in the anti-slavery agitation and the enthusiasms of the civil war the movement was contemporary with the preaching of many novel gospels in religion in sociology in science education and medicine new sects were formed like the universalists the spiritualists the second adventists the mormons and the shakers some of which believed in trances and miracles others in the quick coming of christ and still others in the reorganization of society and the pseudosciences like mesmerism and phrenology had numerous followers the ferment has long since subsided and much that was then seething has since gone off in vapour but when all that was spurious has been rejected we find that the general impulse was but a new baptism of the old puritan spirit transcendentalism appealed to the private consciousness as the sole standard of truth and right with kindred movements it served to quicken the ethical sense of a nation that was fast becoming materialistic and to nerve it for the conflict that sooner or later had to come in his salutatory editorial garrison said with reference to his position in park street church on the fourth of july eighteen twenty nine in an address on slavery i unreflectingly assented to the popular but pernicious doctrine of gradual abolition i seized this opportunity to make a full and unequivocal recantation and thus publicly to ask pardon of my god of my country and of my brethren the poor slaves for having uttered a sentiment so full of timidity injustice and absurdity i am aware that many object to the severity of my language but is there not cause for severity I will be as harsh as truth and as uncompromising as justice on this subject i do not wish to think or speak or write with moderation no no tell a man whose house is on fire to give a moderate alarm tell him to moderately rescue his wife from the hands of the ravisher tell the mother to gradually extricate her babe from the fire into which it has fallen but urge me not to use moderation in a cause like the present i am in earnest i will not equivocate i will not excuse i will not retreat a single inch and i will be heard with something of the egotism that comes of courage in a holy cause he said on this question My influence humble as it is is felt at this moment to a considerable extent and shall be felt in coming years not perniciously but beneficially not as a curse but as a blessing and posterity will bear testimony that i was right all the while in speaking to the negro people themselves garrison endeavoured to beckon them to the highest possible ground of personal and racial self-respect especially did he advise them to seek the virtues of education and cooperation. said he to them support each other when i say support each other i mean sell to each other and buy of each other in preference to the whites this is a duty the whites do not trade with you why should you give them your patronage if one of your number opens a little shop do not pass it by to give your money to a white shopkeeper if any has a trade employ him as often as possible if any is a good teacher send your children to him and be proud that he is one of your colour maintain your rights in all cases and at whatever expense wherever you are allowed to vote see that your names are put on the lists of voters and go to the polls if you are not strong enough to choose a man of your own colour give your votes to those who are friendly to your cause but if possible elect intelligent and respectable coloured men i do not despair of seeing the time when our state and national assemblies will contain a fair proportion of colored representatives especially if the proposed college at new haven goes into successful operation will you despair now so many champions are coming to your help and the trump of jubilee is sounding long and loud when is heard a voice from the east a voice from the west a voice from the north a voice from the south crying liberty and equality now liberty and equality for ever will you despair seeing truth and justice and mercy in god and christ and the holy ghost are on your side oh no never never despair of the complete attainment of your rights to second such sentiments rose a remarkable group of men and women among them elijah p lovejoy wendell phillips theodore parker john Greenleaf whittier lydia maria child samuel j may william j charles sumner henry ward beecher harriet beecher Stowe, and john brown phillips the plumed knight of the cause closed his law office because he was not willing to swear that he would support the constitution he relinquished the franchise because he did not wish to have any responsibility for a government that countenance slavery and he lost sympathy with the christian church because of its compromising attitude garrison himself termed the constitution a covenant with death in an agreement with hell, Lydia Maria Child in eighteen thirty-three published an appeal in favor of that class of Americans called Africans, and wrote or edited numerous other books for the cause. While the anti-slavery poems of Whittier are now a part of the mainstream of American literature the abolitionists repelled many conservative men by the refusal to countenance any laws that recognized slavery but they gained force when congress denied them the right of petition and when president jackson refused them the use of the mails there could be no question as to the directness of their attack they held up the slaveholder to scorn they gave thousands of examples of the inhumanity of the system of slavery publishing scores and even hundreds of tracts and pamphlets they called the attention of america to the slave who for running away was for five days buried in the ground up to his chin with his arms tied behind him to women who were whipped because they did not breathe fast enough or would not yield to the lust of planters or overseers to men who were tied to be whipped and then left bleeding or who were branded with hot irons or forced to wear iron yokes and clogs and bells to the presbyterian preacher in georgia who tortured a slave until he died to a woman in new jersey who was bound to a log and scored with a knife in a shocking manner across her back and the gashes stuffed with salt after which she was tied to a post in a cellar where after suffering three days death kindly terminated her misery and finally to the fact that even when slaves were dead they were not left in peace as the south carolina medical college in charleston advertised that the bodies were used for dissection in the face of such an indictment the south appeared more injured and innocent than ever and said that evils had been greatly exaggerated perhaps in some instances they were but the south and everybody also knew that no pen could nearly do justice to some of the things that were possible under the iniquitous and abominable system of american slavery the abolitionists however did not stop with a mere attack on slavery not satisfied with the mere enumeration of examples of negro achievement they made even higher claims in behalf of the people now oppressed said alexander h everett we are sometimes told that all these efforts will be unavailing that the african is a degraded member of the human family that a man with a dark skin and curled hair is necessarily as such incapable of improvement and civilization and condemned by the vice of his physical conformation to Vegetate forever in a state of hopeless barbarism. I reject with contempt and indignation this miserable heresy. In replying to it, the friends of truth and humanity have not hitherto done justice to the argument in order to prove that the blacks were capable of intellectual efforts. They have painfully collected a few specimens of what some of them have done in this way, even in the degraded condition which they occupy at present in Christendom. This is not the way to treat the subject go back to an earlier period in the history of our race see what the blacks were and what they did three thousand years ago in the period of their greatness and glory when they occupied the forefront in the march of civilization when they constituted in fact the whole civilized world of their time trace this very civilization of which we are so proud to its origin and see where you will find it we received it from our european ancestors they had it from the greeks and romans and the jews but sir where did the greeks and the romans and the jews get it they derived it from Ethiopia and egypt and were from africa the ruins of the egyptian temples laugh to scorn the architectural monuments of any other part of the world they will be what they are now the delight and admiration of travellers from all quarters when the grass is growing on the sites of st peter's and st paul's the present pride of rome and london it seems therefore that for this very civilization of which we are so proud and which is the only ground of our present claim of superiority we are indebted to the ancestors of these very blacks whom we are pleased to consider as naturally incapable of civilization in adherence to their convictions the abolitionists were now to give a demonstration of faith in humanity such as has never been surpassed except by jesus christ himself they believed in the negro even before the negro had learned to believe in himself acting on their doctrine of equal rights they travelled with their negro friends sat upon the same platforms with them ate with them and in one enthusiastic abolitionist white couple adopted a negro child garrison appealed to posterity he has most certainly been justified by time compared with his high stand for the right the opportunism of such a man as clay shrivels into nothingness within recent years a distinguished american scholar writing of the principles for which he and his co-workers stood has said the race question transcends any academic inquiry as to what ought to have been done in eighteen sixty six it affects the north as well as the south it touches the daily life of all of our citizens individually politically humanly it molds the child's conception of democracy it tests the faith of the adult it is by no means an american problem only what is going on in our states north and south is only a local phase of a world problem now whittier's opinions upon that world problem are unmistakable he believed quite literally that all men are brothers that oppression of one man or one race degrades the whole human family and that there should be the fullest equality of opportunity that a mere difference in colour should close the door of civil industrial and political hope upon any individual was a hateful thing to the quaker poet the whole body of his verse is a protest against the assertion of race pride against the emphasis upon racial differences to whittier there was no such thing as a white man's civilization the only distinction was between civilization and barbarism he had faith in education in equality before the law in freedom of opportunity and in the ultimate triumph of brotherhood they are rising all are rising the black and white together this faith is at once too sentimental and too dogmatic to suit those persons who have exalted economic efficiency into a fetish and who have talked loudly at times though rather less loudly since the russo-japanese war about the white man's task of governing the backward races for whatever progress has been made by the american negro since the civil war in self-respect to moral and intellectual development and for that matter in economic efficiency has been due to fidelity to those principles which whittier and other like-minded men and women long ago enunciated the immense tasks which still remain alike for higher and for lower races can be worked out by following whittier's programme if they can be worked out at all End of section 16.